called Stephen McAlpine. It's a good book. Uh, it's about being a Christian in today's world. And uh, his point is called being the bad guys is that uh, as we stand up for Jesus now, it, it's sometimes harder. It, it's sometimes harder now than it used to be. And, and he referenced the book of Haggai quite a bit. So I started looking at Haggai and I started feeling that Haggai was the message that we need at this time. And so I'm sharing this with you, and its central thing is putting God first. Uh, another book that I read was called God's Lesser Glory. No, not God's Lesser Glory. That's another book. Uh, Your God is Too Glorious, written by a guy who made a complete mess of his life, and yet God restored him. And part of the reason he made a mess of his life was that his priorities were in the wrong place. And this is what he says, this guy, Chad Bird. He says, I went astray for two decades in the pursuit of my ambitions. I drove myself to be an accomplished person. My life had to be awesome. I chased down the career I wanted. I clawed my way up to the position I wanted. I pursued a degree and then another degree and still another until I knew more about my PhD studies than the details of the everyday lives of my children. I knew more about the Hebrew of Genesis 1-1 than I did about what my daughter's favorite stuffed animal was. My dreams, listen to this, my dreams came true when I reached the fabled end of the rainbow and I found that there was a pot of gold there Fool's gold. Young people, those of you who are influencing Zora, all of us, what are your priorities? What are our priorities? I'm going to say three things. First of all, I'm going to ask you, are you putting Jesus first? Second thing I'm going to ask is, what brings you satisfaction? In fact, Sarah, we can slip on to the next slide. The second one is, what brings you, where do you find satisfaction? And, and then the third one is, um, so what gives you satisfaction? Thank you. I got those wrong. So there was a time when putting yourself first was just called selfish. Now it's called a virtue. And so you read all these memes, you know what a meme is? It's like a quote on Facebook about how important it is to put you before anybody else. And, and this is one of the memes that I looked up. It'll say, you'll learn to put yourself first after you notice that other people are constantly putting you last. And so this is the big problem. This is the solution to life, is to put yourself first. But we know as followers of Jesus, that's not the way. You might remember years and years ago, I did a children's talk that went J-O-Y. Can anyone remember what those letters might stand for, J being the easiest one? Jesus, others, yourself. That's what the Bible teaches, and, and that's where it tells us that we'll get joy. Selfishness doesn't satisfy. Putting ourselves number one isn't Jesus' way. It doesn't fill you. It doesn't leave you with a sense of satisfaction. And, and I'm going to admit that putting Jesus first does not come naturally to me or any one of you. But we ask the Holy Spirit to change us. 
Interesting, if you look at verse 1, and it'll help if you have the Bible out in front of you, verse 1 gives us an exact date for this passage. Um, it's the second year of Darius and so on, um, and the commentators say it's the 29th of August, 520 B.C. And that relates to a few other dates in the Bible. 66 years earlier, 66 years earlier, the Babylonians had come into Jerusalem and destroyed the temple and carried the people into exile. 18 to 19 years later, when the Babylonians were no longer the superpower, the Persians were the superpower, and they said, you can go home and rebuild your temple. And, and they did initially. They went back all enthusiastic about God's call in their lives. They understood what it was to seek God's glory, glory first. They were going to rebuild His temple, but now God says to them 18 to 19 years later, look, it's a pile of rubble. What does that say about your priorities that you haven't been fulfilling your calling as followers of God? What are your priorities? And then verse 2, it, it, it gets quite difficult because he commissions Haggai to speak to the people in God's part, and this is what he says. These people say, the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Have we ever heard that in church? Uh, you know, well, we've got other things to do than mission. We've got other things to do than welcome the stranger. We've got other things to do than speak about Jesus. Now, you were not ready yet. And they've been delaying following God's call on their lives. And God points out the hypocrisy of this in verse 3, because it's not like these people haven't the ability to get focused on a project. The problem is they've been focused on the wrong project. And so in verse 3, it tells us, you have been busy building your paneled houses. So it's not that you're not capable of building. It's not that you're not capable of hard work. It's just that you've been doing it all for yourself with no concern for the things of God. Their priorities are all wrong. I remember talking to someone who's a counselor, and she said that we have idols. It's Betsy, you know. And Betsy said, we have idols, you know, things that are functional gods to us. They're not little, you know, stone statues in our houses. They're the things that we look to for ultimate satisfaction. And she said, two of those big idols that people have are comfort and control. And you'll see that when people's comfort or their ability to control a situation begins to be threatened, they get annoyed. Because that's their idol. That's my idol at times. Comfort and control. But what does it say about risk and faith as we step out and respond to the challenges that God gives us? What did it say about these people, about their priorities, that they could build? Oh, they could build well but they built for their comfort, their status, and they had no concern about the things of God. Which brings us to the second point, and uh, he, he asks them, did this bring you any satisfaction? 
Uh, when I was working on this, Andy, my apologies, uh, I thought of you. You know the way you sometimes sarcastically will say, and how did that work out for you? Uh, and, and you know what he's getting at. How did that work out for you? That's what God says. Now, how did that work out for you? you how did it work out putting yourself first? He, he asks them. And, and actually in verse 5, look, he says verse 5, look at this, he says, consider, he says, consider, and the word is the, that's translated behind consider, if you look up a, an interlinear Bible, it's got a word that implies the word heart. It's literally saying, consider the path your heart is on. Because what we do reflects what's going on in our hearts. And he's saying, look at this. You, you know, you've ignored building the temple. God's calling for you. You've prioritized your comfort and your control and your status. What does that say about what's going on in your heart? And then he says, verse 6, look, how, how did that work out for you? He says, well, look, verse 6, you, you know, you sowed a harvest, but you, leave, you, you, you harvested nothing. You drank and you were never full. You got wages, but there was a hole in your bag. You ate, but you never had enough. You, you were clothed, but you were never warm. It didn't work out well for them. And can I tell you something strange? You know, God loves you too much to let God substitutes give you satisfaction. That is a kindness to you. If you can sit in life convincing yourself that what the world offers is enough to give you satisfaction. That is not God's kindness on you. God's kindness is a holy dissatisfaction that says, I want more. And so when you pray for Zora, pray that she would never be satisfied until she finds her satisfaction in Jesus. Pray that. I read a tweet somewhere, and I need to phrase this right, but it said something like this, every time a celebrity who was rich and popular dies by suicide, it's a reminder that everything isn't ever enough. And if you can get to a place where you can ignore the dissatisfaction that a life without Jesus inevitably has, and that's an awful state to be in because Jesus offers you forgiveness and purpose and life. I, I thought about Isaiah, Isaiah 52, 55, verse 2. Why spend money on what is not bread? Why labor on that which does not satisfy? Remember, Caroline, when we were talking about the students in the school, and you said it's the emptiness. You know, we want to speak into the emptiness. And, and what happened, Owen, was that when you and John went in with your Gideon Bibles, it started conversations. And in the kindness of God, Caroline happened to see one of the kids reading one of those Bibles, a Gideon Bible that you put there. And it started a fruitful conversation that we pray would see itself through to life. So if we can't find our satisfaction in stuff. If the panel's house, or whatever it is, the career, the car, the status, the reputation, if that can't satisfy you, what will? 
Well, then you bring on and, and look at the last few verses that we're looking at. Verse 7. I should just read one of the quotes that was in that book I read. God is inviting you into a bigger and more satisfying building project than our paneled houses can offer us. Let's not spend our energy renovating the wrong house. One of the things I'm going to say to you when I get to the end is, is it's not that God won't bless you with good things. But if you think that the good things are the blessing themselves above him, they're not blessings. The blessings come. Even think of your relationships. None of us by nature put God first. We have to ask the Holy Spirit to help us do it. And sometimes even in our closest relationships, we, we put the person before God. But that actually won't help us love the person. If you really want to love those closest to you, put Jesus above them, and you will love them ironically better than when you put them first. Does that make sense? The more you put Jesus first, the better you will be at loving each other. So if Jacob and Sarah want to love Zora, they'll prioritize Jesus above Zora, and they will love her better. Whereas if they look for a safe, easy life for her, they will rob her of the life that Jesus has for her. So, we look at verse 7. In verse 7, it talks about God's pleasure, God taking pleasure in His people, that you would get to work fulfilling the calling that I've given you, that I might take pleasure in you. And that, I believe, is the source also of our pleasure. The fact that we have a God who can take pleasure in what we do for His glory is purpose beyond measure. Do you realize how amazing it is that God could take pleasure in you and me? That He does take pleasure in you and me. Do you realize how amazing it is? You know, I was writing this sermon, and it hit me just all of a sudden how good this makes God. That God could look at me, who has spent my life putting me first, who's inclined towards selfishness and pride and arrogance, and He could actually take pleasure in someone like me, and, and that he could take pleasure even when I do things that I know are weak and half-hearted and spoiled by my own sin, that the God of the universe could take pleasure in you, that he saw you when you had your backs turned on him, and he wanted you so much he sent his son for you, that he brought you into his family, and like every adopted child, he, you know, he takes pleasure in you that he takes pleasure in you. And, and then it got me thinking, and this is where Zora came into my notes here. This is a couple of weeks. I've got Zora's smile down here. Um, who was it that she, oh, she smiled at Sarah? Or she was windy, and she, she looked at Sarah. But ask yourself this. When you love someone, when do you enjoy their love the most? when they take pleasure in you and their relationship. So when do you love a baby? When, when does Sarah and Jake, no, love is wrong, that's the wrong word, because they always constantly love her even when she's not in a good place. But when do they enjoy her the most? They enjoy her the most when they can see that she enjoys them. Is that true? 
So when a baby smiles at you, something happens in your heart that this lovely little bundle of joy is enjoying me. And that's the same with God. God is most pleased with us when we're most pleased in him. When he is the source of our pleasure, that brings him delight. When we see that actually building the temple, now what I should have said, as we go through this four-part series, we'll see that for the New Testament believer, the temple is not a building in Jerusalem. So the temple points to something, and it, it points to something in a number of the layers, but the first layer is that it points to the person of Jesus. So in John's Gospel, chapter 2, Jesus gets up and says, this temple, it points to me, my body. Because what did you do to it with the temple? You went there to meet God. But you don't go to a building to meet God anymore. You go to a person, and that person is Jesus. So what does it look for us to put the temple first? It means that we put Jesus first. It means that we're concerned what our neighbors think about him. It means that we're saddened when people want nothing to do with him. It means that we want to live lives that make him look good. Not that they will say, oh, he's a great bloke, but he is a great God. And the irony about that is sometimes if you want God to look good in your life, that will sometimes mean that you don't talk about your strengths but your weaknesses, that you're, you're real with people, that you say, I am a failure who's prone to putting me first all the time, but my God pursues me and loves me and delights in me. Isn't he a great God? And other times it will be as we ask God to change us and say, by nature, I would give up trying to pursue you in love. But God is commanding that I pursue you in love. Isn't he a great God? And so they're called to seek his pleasure. And nothing else will satisfy I, I suppose I, I, I'm going to cut out a little bit that I had to finish with. I was going to give you an illustration about rugby, as you can imagine. I won't today, particularly because it was about me playing rugby. Um, okay, I'll tell you what it was. You've convinced me. When I was in school, when I was in school, I was no good at sport. You know, if, if you're one of those kids who's no good at sport, I know what it's like to be selected last. In fact, the worst was when you weren't selected, as in you three, that was, that was me. You know, you didn't even get named. And then I went to school, in, in secondary school, and, and rugby was a support sport. And, and in the second year, we were at the cup match, the Leinster Senior Cup, and, and all the crowd are there, and I was intoxicated. There was nothing bigger in life. Imagine these titans running onto the pitch. Never did I imagine that in fourth year, one day the ball would land and I would catch it and start growling. And I had this pent-up rage that made me a moderately good rugby player for a short period of time who could play one position. And, and then I thought, you know, I'm sixth year, I got to play in that cup match. We were a poor team and I was the worst on the team, but I was still living the dream. But you know, the, the point is that on that day, I, Caroline, I still lie in bed recalling 
that moment. As far as I was concerned, that was the pinnacle of my life. But I'll tell you this about human applause. I'll tell you this. I doubt that many of the people in that team remember I was on that team. I doubt that anyone in that crowd remembers anything I did. I lived for the applause. And it's completely forgotten. And that is the way with most of our achievements in life. We are passing through. And we will not be remembered but by God. So what does all our achievements, what do they matter? Someone wrote this. Um, he said, here's an ambition that will give you contentment in life. Love God, die, be forgotten. That's your ambition. Love God, die, be forgotten. Because to be honest, the only negotiable principle in that is the loving God. The other are going to happen anyway. So love God and be remembered by him for all eternity. And live for the applause of a God who looks at even your weak efforts to please him. With all their failures and yet takes pleasure in them and realize, because I don't know how eternal rewards work, but I know it's something to do with sharing in the glory of Jesus. I know it's something to do with the fact that what you do for him now matters for all eternity, and that while everything else is forgotten, what we have done for him today matters for all eternity. So don't live for the applause. Let's finish. We're uh, two minutes away from 23 minutes in. Uh, verse 5 and 7, just to go back. Remember what it says, consider. This turns up four times, by the way, in the book. This consider. Consider the road your heart is on. This is a considering book. What Haggai wants us to do is take a stock. When was the last time you sat down and you said, where am I with you, O Lord? Am I involved in fulfilling my calling that you have put aside for me? And every one of you has a calling. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, God has prepared works in advance for us to do. Have you sat down and said, who am I called to forgive? Who am I called to love? Who am I called to serve? Who am I called what is it, to share Jesus with? When was the last time? When was the last time you sat down and said, when I pray, Am I laying it all before Jesus? Or am I just recruiting him for my own ideas? Do I really want to be changed by him? Do I want to pursue his holiness? Do I want him to change me? Because I'm telling you, and I think it's probably true for all of you, I don't wake up in the, in the morning thinking about putting anyone else first. It's something that God has to do within us day by day. But it is the source of joy and satisfaction. And this is why at the end of the service today, this is the benediction. I've been thinking a little bit about how we do church. I think there's, there's one thing we could do a little bit better. I, I tend to get to the end of the service and go, let's go for coffee. But throughout the centuries of the church, they've pronounced a benediction, literally a good word. You see it in all the apostles' letters. Every time he comes to the end of a letter, he says something like, May the God of peace go with you. 
And I just thought maybe it's a better way to finish our services that we would pronounce a benediction, that those who are leading or those who are preaching would give a word, a good word. That's what benediction means. And this is the benediction I'm going to put for you. It's on the screen. Read through it and see if you're happy for me to read it over you. This is what I'm going to say, and, and you're going to have the answer to say amen or not. May all your expectations be thwarted. May all your plans be frustrated. May all your desires come to nothing until you become a dependent child of God who seeks first his kingdom and whose pleasures, oh gosh, whose pleasures are found through intimacy with him. Then may you enjoy all his good gifts. I'm not saying that God doesn't have many good gifts to give to you, but if those gifts become more important than the giver, you will end up dissatisfied. And so I'm saying, ask God to give you the priority to put him first, because that will bring him pleasure, most importantly, but it'll also bring you pleasure. Amen. We're going to move now into...